Jesus, breathe new life into these words that we would be made more like you as we hear them. We love you. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jesse Rice. I'm part of the youth ministry staff here at First Pres. It's very good to be with you. I want to welcome you if you are joining us online as well. Thanks for being here. I also want to say hello to those of you students who are in the 11 o'clock. Please put away your cell phones, stop checking Facebook, and tune in. All right. Some of you right now are like, whoa, how did he know? Um, you can also put away Facebook. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Factory Reset. And the idea behind the series is just like there's sometimes this reset button at the back of our technology that allows us to restart the thing when it's gotten too crowded, too overloaded, uh, too many open apps, whatever it is. Just like our technology, we sometimes need to hit a reset button and get back to the manufacturer's original design. Back to our creator's original design for things like friendship and work and parenting and so forth. And that's what we've been looking at. And this morning, we're going to be talking specifically about the subject of marriage. What would a factory reset of marriage look like? And how would that help us make marriage better in 2012? Now, just a quick caveat here, all right? Though we're going to be talking about marriage, this message is absolutely intended for more than just married people, all right? If you are a young single or an old single or somewhere in between single and you want to get married, this message is for you. If you are already married and you have a good marriage but you would love to have a great marriage, this message is for you. Similarly, if you are divorced or going through a divorce right now, I want you to know this message is for you. If you are a widow or a widower, this message is for you. If the subject is for you, as it so often is for many of us at times, a painful or a shameful subject to talk about, I want you to know this message is for you. Regardless of what your marital status is this morning, this message is for you. I believe God has a message for you, and it is ultimately a message of great hope. Because if there's anything that we know about our God, it is that he can breathe life into unexpected places, places where we least expect him to work. So let me start this morning with a question. Does anyone here think that our culture has it all dialed in when it comes to marriage? No. We don't look at the media, we don't kind of look at our own experience, look at those around us and go, you know, we do live in a broken and hurting world, but marriage, marriage we got all figured out. No problem, right? No, we, do, we don't think about those things because when it comes to marriage, we human beings have kind of thoroughly messed things up since the beginning, right? And as a result, we tend to see one of two worldviews at work when it comes to marriage. And the first is what I'd call kind of the Disneyfication of marriage, According to this worldview, marriage has been so thoroughly Disney-fied that it seems the perfect solution to every problem. If I just find Mr. Right, if I just find Miss Right, everything's going to work out, everything's going to fall into place, and I will live happily ever after. Oh, married people, has this been your experience? Okay, thank you for that answer. Yes. When things get Disney-fied, we get images like this one, right? This is Cindy, Cinderella, right up there with her prince, right? Now that they have each other, everything is going to be great. She doesn't have to mop any more floors. It's going to be fantastic, right? And we get more modern images like this, Jack and Rose on the beginning of a great adventure, 
You know, no adversity is going to be able to crush their love ever, right? Oh, you know how the story ends. <laughs> Lots of kind of sinking and freezing and dying. Yes, right. Well, that leads me to the second worldview we tend to find, and that is one of complete cynicism when it comes to marriage. And I call this the disgruntled view of marriage. And frankly, more and more of us fall into this camp, right? Marriage, what's the point? Every year, 2.3 million people in the U.S. get married. Every year, 1.2 million people in the U.S. get divorced. Why bother? In fact, when I Googled images for marriage, I mean, when I binged images for marriage, the very first images that popped up were mainly kind of dark and cynical. I mean, this is one of the first that I found here. Marriage, because flat tires don't change themselves. All right? And I kind of like how the groom is just sort of hanging out over here and wondering about his life, probably checking Facebook. Um, of course, it gets worse, right? We have this as well. Um, marriage, just say no. The license plate on the Porsche convertible says, was his. Um, we get these cynical things, and, and these are really the only ones I can show you in church. The rest are not even safe for work, right? So we know the statistics. We know that the majority of marriages end in divorce. Aren't we justified in being cynical? Aren't we justified? Do we just give up, or does God have something better in mind? And obviously, we wouldn't be teaching about this if we thought that culture had the last word. It absolutely does not have the last word. God has had the first and the last word about marriage. And what God has designed for marriage is very good. Very good and is meant to be life-giving to us and life-giving to those around us. So it's time for a factory reset. Because the Disney-fied and the disgruntled views of marriage aren't working. So what should we do about it? Look with me now back at Genesis 2. This verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. When we come to this text in Genesis 2 about how Eve is created, about how this first married couple in the Bible sort of gets their start, all we find is a very simple and understated narrative that kind of goes like this. Man is at work naming animals. Man takes nap. God removes man's rib and makes woman. Man wakes up goes to the living room, turns on Sports Center. okay? It's a very simple and understated narrative, especially considering what has just happened to forever change human history. But what we don't find are, in the text are, are these explicit tips about how to have a better marriage, right? Five ways to improve communication with your husband. Seven ways to help your husband get better organized. Ten ways to spice things up in the bedroom with your husband. You know what I mean, there's just... There's not that kind of stuff in there. And if you're single, you can't go to this text and go, oh, that's how I find the ideal mate, right? The best you can do looking at this, if you're a single person who wants to get married, is that you should nap often <laughs> and pray that you wake up with one less rib. I mean, that's all, that's kind of there, there, you know? Obviously, that's not how this is written. In that culture, it was mostly assumed that whatever you needed to know about marriage was going to be passed down by the parents, by the relatives. You would learn those things from them. And in a time when marriage was much more, had much more to do with sort of economic realities and passing on a family name, the questions that we often ask just didn't even come up. So as we approach this text, we also have to bring our common sense. We have to draw from the experience of countless married folks before us. We have to draw from our own experience what we know about ourselves. And we have to trust that there's actually a Holy Spirit 
can teach us what we need to know if we're willing to listen. So, so with that in mind, I want to quickly share three truths about marriage that I think nobody talks about very much. Basically, three principles we can glean from this very brief text about how we can help give marriage a factory reset. The first principle we learn comes from Adam. You see, when, when God creates Adam, he places him in this beautiful garden, and he gives him a job. Name the animals. So Adam goes to it, and he does diligently the job of, of naming the animals. And as he's doing this, God stops him, concludes that none of the animals that, that Adam is naming are a good match for him. And so God makes Adam a match, whose name is Eve. While Adam is going through his routine of naming the animals, God creates new life right in front of him. What we find here is this first principle. It's in the middle of our routine. While we're doing the very ordinary stuff of life, that new life gets created. In other words, new life is born from routine. You see, new life can spring up while we're working through our to-do list, while we're taking the kids to school, while we're trying to figure out how to pay off credit card debt. All of this stuff counts. It matters because it's in the middle of the ordinary stuff that extraordinary stuff gets made. And this is not something you really hear about, especially in the media, right? For example, I wish that Disney would make a follow-up to Cinderella, right? Kind of Cinderella 2. Maybe they already have. I don't know. But I want to see Cinderella fall in love, marry the prince, all that deal. That's great. But then I want to see Cindy and the prince, like, go through Craigslist and try to find an apartment. All right? I want them to decide how, who's going to, you know, what family are they going to spend Thanksgiving with, right? I want them to work through that discussion where, uh, you know, those old t-shirts that the prince has held on to since college and are full of holes and really don't fit in that well anymore. When are those going to go, right? That's real life. That's what I want to hear about. Yes, every once in a while you might get to go to a royal ball, but for the most part, it's sharing our routines together. But the really good news is that new life is born from routine. So let me give you just one quick suggestion about how, how this might look for you. Katie and I, my wife and I, uh, both have our master's degree in counseling psychology. In fact, we both went through the same program at the same time, same school, same classes, which was awesome because we were learning so much about ourselves. We were learning so much about relationships. And I had somebody to copy the answers from. It was a blessing. Absolutely. But out of all the stuff we learned in grad school, it's, it's interesting that one of the things that has stuck with us the most and that has been most personally, personally helpful to our marriage was also kind of one of the silliest. And it's this idea of bids. Bids are kind of this reference to the, the sort of bid you'd make at an auction you know, to sort of get the auction caller's attention. It's this small gesture to let the auction caller know that you're, you're there and you're interested. Okay, it's just a little nod, a little... In a relationship, a bit is the same thing. It's a small gesture to let the person you care about know that you're there, know that you're interested. And I'm not talking about the occasional kind of flowers and card, and that's great, but that's not a bid. A bid is even smaller than that. A bid is something like a head nod or a quick smile or a wink. It's interesting that the research shows couples who, whose relationships are thriving tend to exchange bids like this many dozens of times an hour when they're together. Conversely, couples whose relationships are kind of stale or sort of dying out tend hardly to, to exchange bids at all. Research shows that bids connect and reconnect people many times throughout the day, resulting in stronger, more satisfying relationships. Now, 
Katie and I are sort of hardwired to, to work this way, and so it's been easy for us, but I feel like it moved to a new level when we sort of learned about this principle and started applying it. And if you were to watch us move throughout kind of the course of a day together, first of all, you'd be incredibly bored because all we do is change diapers and check Facebook. That's pretty much it, all right? But secondly, you'd notice how often we kind of connect to each other with these little bids. I've had bronchitis for like three weeks, and so I'll cough and things like that just because it happens, and then she'll sort of do a mocking cough from another room. And it's sort of funny because it's just this little, I hear you, I see you, I know that you're there. We kind of wink at each other all the time, give each other little nods, things like that. Maybe I'll sing a line to a song, she'll finish it from another room, stuff like that. It's just always sort of going on. When we're apart from each other, we kind of send each other quick texts or maybe a little email link of something funny that's going on. But it's these little tiny ways of saying, I see you, I'm here, I'm interested. Now, obviously, bids aren't aren't just for marriage, right? They're not even just for romantic relationships. They are useful for strengthening any relationship. This is how relationships work. It's these tiny little interactions to let the other person know that we care. I know it sounds kind of silly, but bids really have been a help to our marriage, so I encourage you to play around with it. Play around with it in any of your relationships and let me know how it goes. It took me two years and $35,000 to learn this. You just got a heck of a deal, right? You kind of owe me, I think. But Genesis 2 does not give us information specifically about how bids can improve our married lives, right? But it does give us this principle that new life is born from routine. So we have to look at our routines to find ways we can grow our relationships. But there's a second principle that I think we can see in this story, and it is also a truth that nobody really talks about in marriage. When Adam wakes up to find he has this new companion who is not a giraffe, who's not a parrot, but is actually someone just like him, someone literally made for him, I feel he should be more excited, expressive. But the writer of Genesis records, this is what he said when he saw Eve. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. To me, this sounds kind of flat, you know, and a little bit unromantic. Like, that's, that's the best you got, Adam? That does not bode well for your future, bro. Um, I would have thought Adam would be more expressive, excited, jumping up and down. Oh, thank you, God. This is the best present ever. Finally, I have a match. I mean, I tried to kiss a grizzly bear last week. That did not go well. This is going to be way better. That's not what the writer of Genesis, though, was trying to convey here. That's not the point. The point here is that Adam recognizes someone who is like him in a way that no other part of creation is like him. And he knows this because he knows himself. He knows that he is a unique part of God's creation, unlike the rest of the animals, which brings us to this second principle, and that's the importance of knowing yourself. Marriages have the best chance of thriving when the two people involved have a clear sense of who they are, what their strengths and their weaknesses are, when they've done the work of sort of dealing with past pain, when they've sort of come to terms with some of their hopes and dreams and are moving in healthy directions, those are the marriages that have the best shot. The quality of your marriage is, in fact, directly proportional to how well you know yourself. This is actually true of every kind of relationship. It's interesting that for most of us who are single or who were single, we spend or have spent a lot of time 
looking for the right person, right? Looking for the right person. But how much time and energy did we spend, do we spend, becoming the right person? How much energy do we invest in knowing ourselves and becoming whole people? Or if we're already married, how much time and energy do we currently spend knowing ourselves, understanding ourselves better, who God has made us to be? Much of the brokenness in marriages today can be linked to the fact that many of us have not done the inner work that we need to do. So we can't offer our whole selves to someone else because we haven't put some of those pieces together. It's not that we're ever going to be perfect. Of course not. It's not that we even try to be perfect. But we have to be continually investing ourselves in learning about who God has made us to be in order that our relationships can grow, they can thrive. One of the best gifts I ever gave Katie was the couple years of therapy that I did before we even started dating. Quite honestly. It was during that time that I was putting some pieces back together that had fallen apart. I was learning about my own belovedness, how God actually saw me, how God actually wanted good things for me. Stuff that I really couldn't believe and so I couldn't receive before doing this work. It also gave me some tools to build a healthy marriage. I did some of this work. I continue to do some of this work. And one of the most surprising discoveries that, was, uh, that I made during this season was that every time I sort of peeled back another layer of stuff, because we've all got our stuff, every time I peeled back another layer, I would find a smiling Jesus saying, Oh, Jesse, I'm glad you got here. Great work. Let's go deeper. You see, this isn't some new agey, Oprah, bless her heart, self-enlightenment stuff, right? This is sacred, holy, working out your salvation with fear and trembling stuff, okay? The reason we work to know ourselves better is because it is proper stewardship of the unique lives that God has given us. Obviously, there's all kinds of ways we can go about this. Let me just throw three at you real quick. Discovering your gifts is a great way to go about this. Yeah, we have a sense of maybe what we're good at, what we like, what we don't like, but really leaning into it, maybe taking some tests, maybe getting some vocational counseling. It's the more you lean into that stuff that God has made for you that it benefits your marriage, it benefits any of your relationships. Of course, I am someone who always recommends therapy or mentoring. Maybe you're somebody who has been putting this off for a while. You think, you know what, this could be a good thing. This could be a worthwhile investment. I'll try, I'll look at it next week. Please don't wait any longer. For me, it has been the best thing ever so I highly recommend it. Finally, a small group, a home group, some kind of community group where there is a group of peers around you who get to know you, who can look at you and say, I know who you are. God wants more for you than this. Let me help you get there. Three ways we can develop this. Again, all this applies to relationships beyond marriage, right? The same principle is true for those who are dating, for those who are business partners, for parents and siblings, the whole deal. The more comfortably we can embrace the dark parts and the light parts of us, the more we're able to do so for someone else. Knowing ourselves makes growing intimacy with someone else possible. That's the second principle. But there's one more principle, and it's this. We were made for community, and a community is what we must have around us if our marriages, if any of our relationships are to thrive. You see, this is where Hillary Clinton's speechwriter got it right. It takes a village, right? It takes, again, I thought that was going to get a bigger laugh. It takes a village. <laughs> Nine o'clock didn't laugh at that either, so you're in good company. Um, I might just scratch it. Uh, what's true for raising a child is true for building a healthy marriage. It takes a village. It takes a community around us. Why? A couple reasons. Community grounds us. 
It keeps us stable. It keeps us remembering who we are, what we really want, what God wants for us. Second, community grows us, right? It won't let us settle. If it's a really supportive, encouraging community, it won't let us settle. It'll help us keep moving. At this church, we believe so strongly that healthy marriages are built in community that we offer something called marriage mentoring. Marriage mentoring is just what it sounds like, kind of a more experienced married couple meets together with a less experienced married couple, and they sort of get together for encouragement and insight to help each other uh, grow. Our marriage mentors actually go through pretty significant training and even get certified to be able to do this. Um, And to become a mentee couple, one who gets mentored, all you have to do is sign up. It's that easy, it's that free, and in fact, yes, wouldn't you believe it, this morning... Out in the lobby there is a chance for you to sign up for this. To sign up to meet together with a couple who would love to encourage you and listen with you to see what God is up to in you. And the stories that have come out of our marriage mentoring program are awesome. And they all have these kind of common themes. Communication issues get resolved. Intimacy grows. Understanding deepens. Broken hearts get mended. And one of the coolest parts is how often these mentor-mentee relationships grow and turn into kind of their own thing so that community grows and develops around these couples. Marriages can't thrive without a community surrounding and supporting them. And marriage mentoring is a wonderful way to do this. So if you're married, I want to strongly encourage you to take a look at that even this morning. To not wait any longer, but to get involved with this. And if you're interested in becoming a marriage mentor, like, oh, that would be really fun for us to do together, to serve folks that way. We also would love to talk to you after this back there. In Genesis 2, we find some principles that don't get talked about that much, but can help make marriages stronger. They can help make any of our relationships stronger. And that's a very good thing. But I want to close with this. That image of the rib bone. The thing God uses to make a brand new life is a very appropriate image and one many of us need reminding of this morning. So if you hear nothing else, please hear this. Because whether you're married or single, whether you want to get married or you wish you weren't, whether you've lost your partner to death or to divorce, this image of this dry bone offers us hope. The prophet Ezekiel had this experience. Verse 3, he, God, asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. It's the same imagery we find in this Genesis 2. God takes ordinary dry bones and he creates brand new life out of it. So what are those dry bones for you this morning? What are those areas of your life, your work, your future, your singleness, your marriage, where you're looking at these dry bones going, how is this ever going to work out? How is this ever going to get any better? Our God is a God who since the beginning has taken dry bones and turned them into living things new life he is a healer of broken bones he is a mender of broken marriages of broken lives he is a restorer of hope and peace and love our god can and does all the time breathe new life 
into dry bones. That's why we try these little intentional acts of kindness. That's why we work to know ourselves better. It's why we do that long, slow work of building community. Because we have hope. We have hope. Whether we feel it or not, nevertheless, it is ours. We have hope that these dry bones can come to life. We have hope because God is making something new even right now, right where you're sitting, right where you're listening. God is doing something new. So would you pray with me? Jesus, you are always, always up to new things. And for some of us in this room this morning or listening online, we need to feel that. We need to feel that you are at work creating new life in these places where we just don't feel like it's going to get better. God, whether that's in our singleness or our married life or our work life or home, whatever it is, God, would you, even now, restore hope? We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.